mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Revival or Rain? His scripture text will be taken from the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Here now, Pastor Moody. I, I want to preach just uh, a little bit tonight uh, uh, to you for just a little while. I'll try not to be too long from the book of Hosea. I want to tell you about Hosea. This book is right after the book of Daniel, the great Old Testament prophet. But Hosea was a contemporary of Amos. He prophesied and did his ministry at the same time uh, in Israel as, uh, uh, as Amos did. And at that same time, Isaiah and Micah were prophesying in Judah. And his ministry was after the first Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom. And he was very abrupt and used a lot of metaphors and figures and illustrations. And uh, God had considered Israel, whom, uh, whom Hosea ministered to like an adulterous wife because Israel had turned her back on God and had turned to pagan gods and was worshiping and praying to false gods. And so God did an odd thing. He told Hosea, he said, I want you to go marry a harlot. And said, when you marry her, said, she's going to have children. And the, the indication was that the children weren't, uh, weren't even his children. And uh, God... Uh, uh, he used this to deal with Israel, trying to get them to turn back. And I want to go, I want to go through all of this, but on, over in chapter 10, I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and I want to use this to talk about our country. I want to talk about all the, all the, the uh, distress that's going on right now, all the unrest, the violence, the destruction, uh, the, sometimes it seems like the apathy on, 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 the, on the part of a lot of folks, in other words, seemingly not to care, when there should be great empathy and, and, and sympathetic feeling toward anybody who's, being, who's been wronged or oppressed or mistreated, especially people who have been the, the victims of, of unnecessary violence. And uh, I, I want to read Hosea chapter 10, and, uh, and I'll just uh, read just a couple of verses, verse 12 and 13. God is speaking to Israel, to, and he says this. He says, sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy. And then he says, break up the fallow ground, uh, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. In other words, there's uncultivated areas of your heart and of your life that have become calloused and hard. And God's saying, I want you to sow to yourselves in righteousness so you can reap in mercy. But to do this, you've got to break up this fallow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on you. Now, how do you do this? He says, you sow to yourselves in righteousness. And, uh, 
And I want to say this. It's easy for us sometimes to, to look at others and criticize and condemn their actions. But God said, first of all, I want you to sow to yourself in righteousness. I want you to sow my word and my understanding and what's right uh, in, in your own heart. He says, so... Uh, You've plowed, he said, sow to yourselves in righteousness. And he says, you've plowed wickedness and you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you did, you did and trust in the, your own way in the multitude of your mighty men and your own strength. Father, just add your blessing to the reading of your word tonight. I, I want to just uh, use another verse of scripture tonight that that I think uh, uh, is applicable here. And that's Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And I know we've, uh, we've heard a lot of this. Uh, it's been quoted and used and used and used over and over again. But God is speaking in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. He's speaking to Solomon after Solomon has dedicated the temple and they've offered sacrifices. And he's offered a great prayer to God. And he says to the Lord, if your people sin and you cut off their blessings and plagues come and destruction come, if they pray toward this place or in this place, will you hear them? And to the temple that they dedicated. And God says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he said, then I will hear from heaven. I'll hear them in heaven on the throne. And I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, this text, as I said, has been preached and, and used a lot, especially here in the last few months. And this was spoken by the Lord, as I said, as Solomon dedicated the temple. Verse 14 seems to be the central theme of the entire book of Second Chronicles. After the death of Solomon, the kingdom was split into two factions, and this marked the end of, quote, all Israel. They were now a divided nation. And Jesus would say later that any house or any city or any nation or any family divided against itself cannot stand. There have been times in America's history when division all but destroyed the country. Division is a very strong and, and a very destructive force. And so Israel had been split into two different factions and was the end of all Israel. Rehoboam ruled over two tribes, and Benjamin and Judah. And Jeroboam ruled over the ten tribes called Israel. Later, the capital of Israel became Samaria. And the decision was this, Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, inherited the throne and all 12 of the tribes. But if you're familiar with your Bible, you know the story that, that uh, there, there were young men who were giving counsel and advice to Rehoboam. And uh, uh, the older men told uh, told Rehoboam, said, look, your father made it hard on the people of Israel. And they said, if you would just let, sort of lighten up with the way you rule and, and lighten their load a little, they'll give you their hearts and they'll commit themselves to following you. But the younger men said, you don't need to listen to that. They said, you need to be harder. You need to demand more. 
And so Rehoboam went back and answered the elders, and he said, what seemed like uh, uh, my father's little finger is going to be like my leg on the neck of the people, basically, is what he was saying. He said, I'm going to make it so much harder on them. And the nation, because of that, ten tribes split off and left him and only left him with two, and later he would lose control of that. And I want to say this, that it got the nation to a place of destruction. Later on, because of sin in Hosea's day, they would so blatantly disregard what the Word of God said that they would be carried away captive and the nation would be destroyed. I'm seeing things in America today. I've been preaching this for months and years about the division in our land, the political division, the ethnic division, the, the uh, status division among people. It seems like that people are easily turned against one another. I have been in the last several days because of all that's been going on. I've been listening to some of the speeches and reading some of the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King. And Dr. King said this, talking about America. He said, none of us are indigenous to this land. He said, most all of us came here from foreign places and we, we came here as immigrants and, and the Native American Indians were really the only indigenous people here. And Dr. King made this statement. He said, we may have came on different ships. Some came seeking freedom. Others came in chains sold by their own people in Africa and came here as slaves. And he said in his lifetime, he said, we may have came here in different ships, but he said, we've got to understand we're all in the same boat now. We're all Americans. And he was in by and no means saying everything was all right because you know what his story was and what his life was and what he sacrificed himself trying to do in America. And uh, today, I think, as we've seen this go on, as we've watched in the last several years, America not just slipping down a slippery slope, but we've went to the cliff and we've jumped off and now we're free-falling into immorality. We're free-falling into division. Bitterness and hatred and the misery index is on, at a higher level, they say, right now than it's been maybe in many, many years. And I want to say this. I believe that today we face a real threat in America of destruction. I'm afraid that America has been invaded and the church has been invaded by feelings of division and feelings of bitterness and unforgiveness has become the normal attitude among a lot of people. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we're coming to a place where so much hurt and so much injury and so much pain has been inflicted that we cannot recover from that. I don't think anyone that uh, has any or much understanding could deny the fact that as long as we're divided and fighting, all that's going to do is breed more destruction. Leaders from around the country, from every a walk of life, leaders that are black leaders, leaders that are white leaders, leaders that are from different ethnic groups, are crying out for people to come to an understanding and to put an end 
to the things that's going on and the things that cause them. I thought like this, if there's ever going to be a change in America, that it's going to have to be repentance, revival, and then restoration. Uh, we must have revival. And revival, I want you to understand, I think Peter defined it well when he called it a time of refreshing in God's presence. Peter, in defense of God's word after the healing of the lame man at the temple gate when crowds were coming because of the good thing that had happened, and yet there were, there were religious leaders that were reaching out and threatening them and coming against them. And Peter said in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19, he said, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And in the King James it says, When the times of refreshing uh, shall come from the presence of the Lord. Most modern translations say it like this, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I really believe today that, that men are uh, to the end of their abilities. Men are standing with, you know, great men are standing uh, in frustration, not knowing what to do. Others are threatening different things and saying different things. But I want to call on the church to stand up and offer a refreshing difference, an alternative. I want us to let people know that there's a God that's not far from any of us, the Scripture says. We have a God, amen, the Bible said, His arm is not shortened that He can't reach you. His, his ear is not deafened that He can't hear you. He's, he has not closed His eyes. The psalmist said that this God never slumbers nor sleeps. There'll never be a time, no matter how grave the situation, that God is off somewhere not paying attention. But he went on and said, Isaiah said, his, his arm is not shortened, his ear is not deafened, but he said, your sins have separated between you and God. And I want to say this today, much of what has brought us to where we are can only be defined as sin. It's only, and, and the thing about sin is we can't point a finger at somebody else and say you did it or it's your fault because the Bible said we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But yet God's saying when you repent, there's a place of refreshing. There's an opportunity for you to come back into the presence of the Lord. I, I want to say this when you understand this, that God, listen, he holds true to his word. Amen. In Second Chronicles 7, 14, when he said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll hear from heaven, I'll heal, from the, I'll heal their land. In Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verse number one, the Bible said, it came to pass when Rehoboam had established uh, the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. They just turned away from God. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. You understand, the enemy came because the church had failed. I, I want to say this today, that the enemy is having his way in America because many people have, in the body of Christ have failed to seek the Lord and to truly repent like they should. The Bible said he came in verse number three with 12 
hundred chariots and threescore and thousand horsemen. Let me translate that. That's 70,000 cavalry, a horseman. And the people were without number that came with him. In other words, the troops out of Egypt, as well as the Lebums and the Succums and the Ethiopians. They came up against Israel with this um, unbelievable army. And the Bible said, and he took the fenced cities which pertained to Judah And then he came all the way to Jerusalem. The scripture said, Then came Shehemiah, the prophet, to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah that were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak, or this great Egyptian general. Wherefore the princes of Israel and the king humble themselves And they said, the Lord is righteous. Notice this. They didn't start saying, well, it's somebody else's fault. I mean, the politicians in the crowd, you know, if they'd been, you know, Republicans and Democrats or Democrats and Republicans wouldn't have been pointing their finger at each other. Congress wouldn't have been pointing at the Senate and Senate at the Congress and all of them at the White House and at the Supreme Court. But the Bible said that that they humbled themselves. Amen. And the scripture said, when they humbled themselves, amen, the word of the Lord came to Shimei saying, they have humbled themselves and therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. I want to tell you that God honors, amen, his word, but he also honors humility. I, I want to say this today that I am seeing very little humility. Uh, I, I, I'm seeing very little humility on the media, in the media, from leaders or from people who, who are involved, you know, the, the, the proponents of what's going on in our country right now. But the scripture said in James 4 and 6 that he gives more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And grace is the undeserved merit and favor of God. In verse number seven, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Listen, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm thinking about a parable that Jesus told about a man that was a landowner. And a lot of the parables Jesus told in that time, was they, were, they had to do with agriculture because of the area that he was in. And Jesus said that a man prepared his fields and he sowed good seed. And uh, it said that while they slept, the enemy came in and sowed weeds, to, sowed tares into their wheat field. And when it came up, the disciples or, or the servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed? And he said, we did. But he said, an enemy has done this. I want to say this. I think a lot of the seed that Dr. King sowed and, and many others back in the 60s and 70s, I'm old enough to remember that time, the tumult. But I, I remember also strides were made and, and a lot of the laws of segregation were, were, were struck down and things changed and, and the civil rights uh, laws and bills were passed. A lot of efforts were made. And uh, yet I think that while we slept, while we were at ease in Zion, that the enemy has come in and sowed seeds. And, and this destruction seems to have, has uh, 
come up on us again. And James went on and said, draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. In other words, he said, resist the devil and flee from you. But then he said, draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. Then cleanse your hands, whatever you're guilty of, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Those who've said one thing and thought another. Amen. He said, and be afflicted. Here's where repentance and, and grieving comes in. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. We, none of us should just be sitting back while all these injustices and all these things are going on and just counting ourselves as blessed and saying everything's all. It's not all right. It, listen, as Americans, we ought to feel like if one of us is suffering, all of us are suffering. And then he said, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he shall lift you up. I want to say again what I said earlier. The starting place or the starting point for turning things around in America is not, you know, political. It's not financial. It's, it's, it's not violence. It's none of these things. The answer is repentance, revival, and restoration. Only God can heal. Hallelujah. It's like if you go to a doctor, sir or ma'am, and they tell you you've got cancer or heart disease, and they can give you medications and all these kind of things and do surgeries and do their best. But if God doesn't affect healing, you're going to die. I want to tell you the only hope for America, I want to say it again, is repentance, revival, and restoration. Hallelujah. You see, God requires repentance. In Luke chapter 13, there was a time when there were uh, uh, some people that Pilate, who were Galileans, had killed at the time of their sacrifice. And Jesus asked the question, he said, you think these people were worse than anybody else? These that got killed? Do you think they deserved what they got? They were any, any different than anybody else? And he said in verse th uh, chapter 13 and verse 3, he said, I tell you, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he goes on and tells about a, a, tire, a tower of Siloam that fell on some people. And he said, you think those people were worse than anybody else? And he said again, nay, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. <coughs> Jesus speaking in uh, Revelation chapter 2. He said, I've got a few things against you in verse 14 because there's been those among you that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. You know what God was saying? Part of the trouble is there's people that have allowed ungodly things to go on and America's guilty of that. We're, we're guilty of inequality and injustice in a lot of ways. And I, I think the only way we can ever get uh, delivered from that is to truly repent. Amen. And seek God and try to, you know, to seek justice. And, uh, and God spoke back in Isaiah to Israel. And he said, you think that I want you to fast just because I want to see you disfigure your faces and go through the ritual? No, he said, I want you to fast so you can give your bread to the hungry. I want you to fast so you can reach out and set at liberty those that are oppressed and those that are hurting. That's the job of the church in America. I want to challenge pastors and ministries everywhere. Let's be the solution and not part of the problem because that's who God called us to be. So all of a sudden we find out that 
Repentance is not just a request with God, but it's a requirement. Amen? So he says in verse 15, he says, You've got them there that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. God said, you're allowing things to go on and be taught and said that are contrary to the very, to the very heart and soul of the Word of God and the gospel itself. Verse 16, he says, repent, or else I will come quickly to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Nevertheless, he said, I've got this against you, amen, because you've left your first love. Remember therefore from where you've fallen and repent and do your first works or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove that candlestick out of its place except you repent. I want to say something about that scripture right there. God saying to a church, you've left your first love. Can I say this? The great advances in and human efforts or efforts towards human, uh, humanity to be a uh, help and to try to advance the cause of humanity in America. The greatest efforts in America have been made by the praying church, by the fellowship of the saints, by, by the fellowship of Christianity down through our nation's history. I want to remind you that it was Abraham Lincoln laying on his face in the White House, crying out to God that helped effect uh, the end of slavery. And I know it, there was a great civil war and, and a nation that was torn and divided had to be broken to be reunified. And it's always been prayer, amen, in the church and that, that has made the difference in America. In Revelation chapter three and verse one, under the angel of Sardis, he said, these things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works and that you have the name that, you, that you're alive, but you're dead. What a, what a reproach to say to the church. You claim to be all this, but you're dead. And he said, but be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Do you hear what God's saying? He said, you got a name that you're alive, but you're a dead church. But there's some things that remain there. And you need to strengthen the good things, you know, the, the love, the caring, the faith, the prayer, the repentance. You need to turn things around. He goes on and says, remember therefore how that thou has received and heard and hold fast. And again, he says, repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour that I've came upon. You know what God was saying? He was saying, you've got some stuff there that you can turn this around if you will Give your heart to God. It's revival or ruin. It's revival or destruction. And the answer is repentance, revival, and restoration. Amen. I'm gonna I'm gonna conclude today just with saying this. When the world around us is self-destructing, God demands that the church do more than just stand and look around and shake our head or point our fingers or speak condemning words. God demands that the church look inward before looking outward. And I believe if we'll look inward, we'll kneel down before we stand up and we'll start praying because every great revival of the past started when somebody was praying a prayer of repentance. And we need to be seeking God, amen, before we seek man's solutions. 
In Philippians 1 and 14, the Bible says this, that many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, Paul wrote this from prison, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And he said, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preaches Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And then he says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And he said, therefore, I rejoice, and yea, I will rejoice. You know, it almost like, sounds like Paul was saying, doesn't matter how people are living as long as they preach. That's not what he was saying at all. He was saying as long as this word is preached, there's always the chance that, that even those that are preaching it from the wrong motive will get convicted by it. And they'll turn their heart toward God. And they'll repent. And then there'll be revival. And then there'll be restoration. Folks, that is God's plan. Repentance, revival, and restoration. I don't know about you. I'm looking for a great repentance to take place in America. I've been praying for a great revival to take place in America. But I'm also looking for a great restoration to take place in America. A restoration of love, of caring, of compassion, of consideration for the needs of other people where that we will look more inwardly, get our hearts right, and then begin to look outwardly and try to help those that are in need. This is Brother Moody. We love you. And I just want to say it again. I believe the answer for America is revival. I believe if we don't have revival, all we're going to have left is ruin. If things are not turned around, you can, you can go to the Middle East and uh, go to any country there that you want to go to, and they've been at war for decades with each other. They've never stopped. And most of the places you go, all you see is ruin, ruin. Ancient, listen, even ancient civilizations and, and ancient landmarks that one time spoke of great civilizations are laying in ruin today because men would not repent and have revival and let God bring restoration. And set our hearts on you, Lord, come and we hope you enjoyed today's message and will tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.